Well, if you have your Bibles with you, you can open to 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 11, 1 Peter chapter 2. Now that we're done with uh, 1 Samuel, and before we jump into Galatians, and Scott's going to be preaching next week, I kind of have a free Sunday here to pick what I want to preach on, and uh, I feel like the Lord... Uh, was directed me towards First uh, Peter chapter two, starting with uh, verse eleven through chapter three, verse seven. <clears throat> and this is Peter's letter to the elect exiles, to Christians who have been scattered throughout Asia Minor because of persecution. So they're on the run. This is a letter of encouragement. Uh, to them, here's what we read in verse 11 of chapter 2. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subjects. Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to those, uh, to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin you are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and, and suffer for it, you endure... This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you've been called, because Christ Jesus also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed for you were strained like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, 
the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the, wear, or the clothing you wear, but let the, your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's pray. Father, I ask that as we look at this text, this advice to Christians who were experiencing much suffering, that you would give us wisdom for our day on how we ought to live as followers of Christ and be witnesses for you. Lord, I just thank you for the amazing grace you've shown us. Lord, I pray that that would root up in godly lives that would honor and glorify you. I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever wondered why, after trusting in Christ, God doesn't just zap you to heaven? Have you ever wondered why, if Christ has defeated Satan on the cross, has he allowed this world to go on as it does? Why the delay before were brought to live in the presence of the Lord? One of the answers to that question, we can't know all the whys of why the Lord does what He does, but we can know the mission He's left us here for. He's left us as witnesses in a dark world, as shining lights for people who do not know Christ, do not know forgiveness of sins. He's left us here to shine forth and to live in such a way that gives testimony to the great salvation we have in Christ. The Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 1 says something that for a lot of people myself included, when I first read it, it almost seems like heresy. Here's what Paul says in Colossians 1.24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. He's talking to Christians in Colossae. I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of of his body. How can the Apostle Paul fill up for what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ? Did Jesus fail 
at some point in his suffering that he needs the Apostle Paul to fill up what is lacking for the sake of the body? What he means is this. What is lacking in the world after Christ has suffered on the cross and ascended into heaven is an example, a living, real-life, suffering example of selfless love that's willing to love those who persecute them. You see, when Jesus didn't retaliate when he was struck and spit upon and beaten, it was demonstrating power. And Paul's saying, my suffering is an example that without this example, you would be lacking the demonstration We're left to be witnesses for Christ to the gospel. And so how ought we to relate while these days God's given us before he returns or before we die and go see him? How are we to relate to this world? How are we to relate to ungodly government? How are we supposed to relate to ungodly employers? Or in Peter's day, slaves to masters who have evil masters. How are wives to relate to a husband who doesn't obey the word of God, who doesn't love God? How I stumbled upon this text this week is a few weeks ago, I was teaching through uh, some premarital counseling and we looked at 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 7, to husbands and wives. And as I went through that again, I thought, you know, next chance I get, I want to preach on this. This is just amazing what God has called us to. But then I realized, so here's my opportunity, but it's the day bef- or a few days before the election. What, is this a good choice? If I could preach on anything, what does the body need this week, going into this week. And I went to this text and I looked at at the context and really, all the way at chapter 2, verse 11, starts a theme of submission. Submission to government, submission to your employer or like your master, and submission to your spouse. And I saw, wow, this is amazing. This might be exactly what we need. So here's the question we're looking to answer. How ought we relate to our society, whether it's government, whether it's the people you work with, whether it's your family? What's our position? Now remember, these are persecuted Christians on the run, a lot of them poor and destitute. And they need encouragement. And they've just realized that they are sons and daughters of God. That in fact, they are even going to judge angels one day. Their position in Christ is so high. And what Peter knows is the temptation, as soon as you give someone identity, or as soon as you give someone power, There's a temptation to be abusive with it. 
wouldn't it be natural for Christians to look at their ungodly king or president or governmental system, the flawed system, and say, you know what? Christ is my king. I'm not going to pay taxes to you. You're ungodly. Or how easy would it be for a Christian slave to look at his master and say, you don't know God. Here's my identity in Christ. I'm not going to be a good slave anymore. I'm going to do what I want because my position has become so great. Or for a spouse to have the same attitude. A wife to a husband, a husband that doesn't know the Lord and a wife saying, forget honoring you or respecting you when you're so ungodly. You see, the shocker in these three examples is honor, respect, love is demanded we give people who don't deserve it in one sense. But what he argues is, if you fear God, you'll do these three things. You'll submit to him and relate to your world in these three ways. And just to give you a little overview of this letter, from chapter 1 to chapter 2, verse 10, here's, here's Peter's encouragement. Remember your great salvation. Remember your living hope. Christ is resurrected from the dead. He's in heaven. As you're suffering, as you're on the run, remember your living hope. That's the first section to the letter. Then it changes right where we're at today to him saying, remember your example before men. So remember your living hope, but remember your example. Remember the lives you ought to live. Remember why you're here. And then he ends uh, in chapter 4, verse 7 to the end of the letter. He tells them to look to their future hope and remember Jesus is coming. So that's kind of how this letter uh, lays out. So let's look at this text. Let's see how we're to relate to government, to those whom we work with, to our family. And the drive of this sermon, and what I think Peter's getting at is this. Glorify God through your submission because that points to your hope in Him. So when you submit in these areas, it actually points to security. So, if someone's defensive, gets really defensive, everyone kind of automatically knows they're not very secure. There's an insecurity when you, when you get defensive if something doesn't go your way. But when they would spit on Jesus and they would mock him and he wouldn't throw a lightning bolt back or he wouldn't point out every sin they have, it showed that he was so secure in his identity. And so his submission, even to the horrific treatment he took on, was pointing towards his strength. So let's look at uh, the first few verses. Look at verse 11. This is kind of a summary for this section. 
Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. You see that? Once you're in Christ, your kingdom is the kingdom Christ is bringing. You're looking forward to the new heavens and new earth, but right now, you're sojourners and exiles. I urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. When he's talking about flesh, he's talking about your natural sinful urgings and desires. And what he's saying is, is that we need to abstain from the old way, the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. First thing to notice here is that Christians are in a battle. It's called war. Wage war. You see, the theology of let go and let God, look at the grace of God, now just let go and let God transform you, is foreign to the Bible. Our walk as Christians is described as war in destroying your own selfish, fleshly desires. What is more unnatural than submission? What seems more unglorious to us as people than submission? What was the temptation in the garden? Oh, God is keeping you from knowledge. God is keeping good from you. You can be like God. Get out of your submission role, eat of the fruit, and, and uh, you can be like God. And so he's urging believers to wage war uh, against your flesh, not meaning your physical body as much as your sinful nature, because without that, your soul would be destroyed. Those who aren't given the Holy Spirit, who aren't saved, who don't fight their flesh, but just plan for it, will ultimately be destroyed. And then he says, keep your conduct among, among the Gentiles honorable. See, this kind of introduces the theme of this section. So that when they speak against you, as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You see, the Pharisees could come to Jesus and accuse him of all sorts of nasty things, but Jesus lived in such a way that even his accusers were discredited. And we as Christians, sometimes even when we're living and doing good, society might call that evil, but we can live in such a way that that charge against us doesn't hold much weight because people know us. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, verse 12, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Here's what I think he's saying. Live your life in such a way that it's so shocking in the eyes of the world. Be so secure in your hope for God and live in such honorable way in front of the Gentiles that they might actually listen to your gospel and be saved so that when Christ comes, they'll be glorifying Him on the day of visitation. It is true someone needs to hear and understand the gospel to be saved. And people hear and can even 
intellectually understand in one sense, but it's also true a suffering, merciful Christian can all of a sudden make that person go back and reconsider what they've seen. I do evil to you, you do love to me. Now what were you saying? What's, what's your good news you have? This is what Peter's getting at. Live in such a way that they might glorify God on the day of visitation. Jesus said it this way. People do not, uh, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your life light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Peter got this idea, obviously, from Christ. And then he gets specific in these three categories. Government, slaves and masters, husbands and wives. So look at verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now, every human institution, according to uh, my study, could also be uh, translated from the Greek uh, to every creature. And the idea here is it doesn't seem that Peter just has institutions in mind, but he wants to point out that these kings and these emperors that he's going to go on to talk about are created by God. They're not God. They're created beings. In the Greek, it's anthropine, where we get the word anthropos, man, creature. And what he's saying is, is be subject to every creature, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to those governors, not just the president, but also to those underneath him. That, that's what he's saying there. Or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Now he's not, Peter it, it doesn't have this naive understanding that governments don't turn evil or that kings don't do evil things. He's already seen Herod kill Jesus' brother, James, with the sword. But in general, what Peter is saying is God has instituted governments in place and they're given a sword to punish evil and to praise those who do good. Uh, this isn't foreign to the New Testament. Titus 3.1, remind them to be submissive to ru rulers and authorities, to be obedient and ready for every good work. Uh, Romans uh, chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, this is probably the most famous passage where we're told to be in subjection to the government, God's instituted, to it, to Rebel against it would be to rebel against God. This is uh, Romans 13, 1 through 7. Peter does not, is not naive thinking that governments always do what is right. But what he's saying is this, Christians, you are not insurrectionists. You are not anarchists. That's not why God left us here. He left us here to be witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ so that you be the best citizens, 
You'd be the greatest servants in that society so that one day God might be glorified by those people. We're not to be uh, citizens that are angry and rebel and fail to pay taxes and, and things of that sort. You know, we don't have time to, as much time as we could spend four weeks on how Christians relate to government. But what I want you to see here is Peter saying, your relation to government, be a good citizen. Submit to the authorities. Obviously, this is an ultimate submission. We're supposed to submit to the king understanding he's a creature. He's created by God. And notice it says, for the Lord's sake. Be subject, verse 13, for the Lord's sake to every human institution. If the government ever asked you to participate in something that was absolutely against Christ's teaching, it wouldn't be for the Lord's sake. Peter understood this. Remember what he said in, in Acts 5 when they were told to quit spreading uh, the teaching of Christ? Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. What do you want us to do? And then they got violent with him. They hated him for it. But the picture here is that we are a people so secure in Christ that we can be a good citizen even in a country that doesn't do everything, doesn't obey God's word in, in all things. The government was never meant to be the church. It's instituted by God, and so is the church, and so is marriage. And the one that isn't is slavery, which is man's invention. But we'll, we'll look at that in a second. Uh, and then he says, verse 15, it's shocking. For this is the will of God, that we be subject to the emperor. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So what he's saying here is, a Christian's subjection to the emperor is not the type of submission that is in slavery to the emperor, but we're free in Christ, but, and in your freedom, make yourself subject to the emperor. In your freedom, willingly be the servant of, of uh, your country. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Someone could not want to pay taxes. And they could say, government's stupid, our laws are stupid, they charge way too much for taxes, therefore, I'm not going to pay all my taxes. That's using your freedom to cover up evil. And that's not, that does not point to Christ. It does not point to the power of the resurrection. That's what the world would do. The world understands that sort of thinking. The world doesn't understand when oppression comes on Christians and Christians bless back. That's what the world can't understand. 
Our submission is not out of weakness, but out of freedom and strength and trust in God. And then he ends it with this, this section. Honor everyone. Recognize the dignity of every human being on the face of the earth. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. There's a special love for the church. When you're a Christian, there's a special care for your brothers. Uh, the word there's agape. Agape, the brotherhood. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood. Fear God, honor the emperor. Now, Peter would never say, honor God, fear the emperor. All throughout this letter, Peter's saying, don't fear them. Don't fear them, fear God. Give honor to the emperor as you give honor to all people. Isn't that interesting? It's bookends. The emperor, created creature. Everyone, created with dignity. Give honor to both of them. Fear God. We don't, we don't live in fear of who our next president will be because we know who the king of the universe is. Christ has so secured us that we can even serve as citizens in a country where we disapprove of the leadership. This is similar to Proverbs 24, 21. My son, fear the Lord and the king. Do not join with those who do otherwise. Watch out for the person who wants to love God and disrespect the king. I'm a God person, but I reject all authorities in my life. I'm anti-submission. The Bible warns, watch out for people like that. This is not what Christ did, and this is not what we are called to as Christians. In fact, Peter says this in, in chapter 3, verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. I love it. How Peter says that you don't need to fear them. And if they punish you for doing good, that's all right. You bless them. And then when they ask, where do you get, where does this hope come from? You be ready to answer. And say your hope comes from Christ. So let me ask you, are you willing to show honor to your elected officials, even if it's not the one you would choose? What if you got to stand in an elevator with them? As a born-again Christian, what are going to be your words with them? Are you going to fear God enough to honor them in the position they're in, even if you might disagree with their policies? See, this gets at the heart of Christianity. Let's just admit, it's really easy as Christians in understanding who we are and understanding God's Word to have an attitude of defensiveness and anger and bitterness. But do you understand what Christ has called us to? We are to be good citizens, not anarchists. We are to live godly lives that silence the false claims against us. Second, submit 
to, and I'm doing an, an implication here, none of us are slaves. But the implication in the text even spreads out to us, I'll show you. And slavery in Peter's day is different than uh, American slavery, which was race slavery. It's not any less horrific in one sense. They treated slaves like property. They abused them physically and sexually in Peter's day. This is by no means the Bible condoning slavery. But this was showing this little tiny group of Christians how to respond in a situation when you're a slave and you've got a wicked master. A master who's treating you not right. He says, servants, which could be translated slaves, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Because isn't human nature to say, I'll give respect where respect's due. I'll show honor where I see honor. See, that's how the world does it. That's not impressive to anybody. For this is a gracious thing, verse 19 says, when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. Peter's worried about these Christians that are on the run and being persecuted, that they're going to become anger and, and, and become bitter. But, then he, but he argues this, for what credit is it if when you sin you are beaten for it, you endure but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. What does it mean, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God? It literally, it's this is grace in the sight of God. When you suffer for doing good and your hope is in God, it's grace to your account. It's reward. What he's getting at here is, there's reward for those who suffer. When they suffer, they bless. And, and their hope is in God. They don't retaliate. There's reward coming and there's judgment coming for the one treating you that way. That's where he's going here. But the language is, is that of gracious means grace in your account. Reward in your account. He says, what credit is it? What reward are you going to get if you suffer because you're a jerk or because you're a bad servant, you think you're going to get credit for suffering in that way? And then in verse 21 it says, um, For to this you've been called. The title of the sermon, The Submission Commission. Christians are called to be submitters. Look at this. For to this you have been called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so you might follow in his footsteps. We as Christians were not called to live these 80 years or however many years God gives you demanding our rights, but we were called to suffer in this world as Christ suffered. And so shine out with mercy and grace to people who sin against us, we show mercy. We show grace back. We are called to suffer as Christ suffered. See, we're mistaken. 
when we think glory comes before suffering. When you get saved, you're secure. Your glory is set in heaven. But suffering comes before glory just like it did for Jesus. His suffering came first, then came his glory. For to this you've been called because Christ suffered also For Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. You see, God, in his grace, we've we've grown up in a country where pretty much for the last hundred years, with the exception of maybe the last ten, Christian morale was celebrated as a good thing. But that is so weird in the scope of history. What Christians have been called to is suffer. So now as it starts to get pulled back from us a little bit, your belief in God's word, you're called a bigot or you're called evil, we tend to think, how dare this happen? This isn't God's will for my life. Well, it is according to Peter's. We're called to suffer in the face of of being handled unjustly so that you might follow in his footsteps. And then look at the example. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. So just think, you're sinful and you suffer at the hands of sinners. He never sinned and he suffered at the hands of sinners willingly. You see see the argument? He never sinned, but... He did, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Don't you want to threaten the judgment of God on people that have a different view of you? You're going to be judged for that. You're going to, well, why are you here? You are here to, yes, let them know that God will judge one day, but there's mercy now. Look at my Christ. Look at my Christ. Trust in my Christ. This is a time of mercy. We're not the ones who bring about the judgment of God. Christ brings that when he comes. We're left as witnesses to point to the grace of God, reminding them that Christ is coming, that we are all accountable to God. Um. He did not revile in return when he suffered. He did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. How did Jesus do it? He was trusting in God who was going to settle the score one day. God is going to judge justly. That's how Jesus could keep his mouth shut and not retaliate. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. If you're a non-believer, this is the gospel. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, on the tree. The tree is pointing back to Deuteronomy where we're told that cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. You should be cursed for your sins, but Jesus Christ hung on the cross on a tree to be the curse so that you could never be cursed. that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He was 
put on the tree, bore our sins so that we can actually live a different way. Yes, to take away our sins, but what is he talking about here? He's talking about how you live. You can live in this amazingly crazy way in the eyes of the world if you look at the gospel. For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd, the overseers of your souls. You were all doing what the Gentiles do, whatever their flesh wants, craving power, everything else. But the shepherd, the overseer of your soul said, look at my life. Look at what I did. You follow in my footsteps. You take up your cross. When you're reviled, don't revile in return. You show them that your hope and your fear is in the Lord, not in human institutions or anything else. And then, we're running out of time, so we'll have to go quick here. Look at submission to your spouse. Likewise, so the likewise here is out coming back to this theme of submission. Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the world, word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Here's what Peter says. In, that, in, in those days, women were regarded as property, having no more value than a slave. In fact, if a woman chose a different religion, her husband could kill her legally. And so the response here is, or, or what he's calling to them is amazing. He's saying, you don't try to win your husband with your mouth by continually nagging him about Christ. Let, let him know, yes, what you believe, but then let the conduct of your wife win him over. You know, look at the example he gives then. Don't let your adorning be external. Both men and women have the temptation to make our adorning external, but maybe especially women find identity in the outward appearance. And the temptation could be here, how do I get the respect of my husband? How do I win my husband over? You know, I could work on the externals, but here's the thing. Your husband recognized the externals at the beginning, but once you're married, there's something he'll notice much more, and that's the inward person of the heart. The externals, it, it's interesting. Not only is this precious in God's sight, but he's actually teaching them how to win an unbelieving husband. And even unbelieving husbands don't care so much about the externals, but rather the type of pure conduct that they just are amazed by and may listen and come to Christ and be win willing to consider the gospel because of it. Let not your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, the clothing you wear. Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle, quiet spirit, which is very precious in God's sight. So it's twofold. God thinks this is precious, this gentle, quiet spirit, this beauty of, of a submissive wife over so, so God thinks it's precious, but he even thinks the unbelieving husband is going to find this impressive. And then he says this, though. 
For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Here's where John MacArthur said, boy, women, you've really fallen, fallen off the cart, haven't you? When was the last time you've called your husband Lord? <laughs> but the point is, is Sarah probably liked her home, but when Abraham said, we're going out into the desert, she followed Abraham. And his point is this, the way women, godly women have always lived, this is how they've done it, like Sarah. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. What's that about? What does it mean that you're Sarah's children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening? To live in this way that Peter is calling, to not let your adorning merely be the externals, things, but the inward person of the heart. There's going to be intimidation in every culture of the world. For a woman to live like this, oppression of going differently is going to come. But you don't fear the world. You don't fear anything that's frightening. To live this way in the world is not accepted. And then he says this, likewise, husbands, so likewise, I think even attaches to submission. The same theme. But a husband doesn't submit to his wife because God has given her authority over the husband, but the husband is to submit to the needs of the wife and to love his wife as Christ loved the church and Christ took care of the needs of the church. That's the difference. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Isn't that the best way to say it? It encompasses so much. Live with them in a way where you have knowledge in an understanding their needs and what they're going through and what's going on. It's really easy to live with your wife in an un-understanding way. Showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel. What does that mean? It means she's physically weaker. She's physically not as strong. And men all throughout history have been able to dominate women by physical strength. But he says... Show honor to them as a weaker vessel. So here's how you need to think of this. Because this sounds oppressive in our day. If you're getting the kids ready for uh, lunch, you just grab the little Walmart cups, the little plastic cups. You can get 10 of them for five bucks. And you could throw those things across the room and those things aren't going to break. But what Peter says is... Live with your wife in an understanding way, showing honor to her as a weaker vessel. What do you do when an honored guest comes in? You might get out, I don't know if people do this anymore, get out the fine china. And he says, just the same way you would carry that honorable vessel, that honorable cup, and you'll treat it gently, and you'll care for it, and understand the value of it, so husbands are supposed to care for their wives as the weaker vessel, showing honor to her. 
recognizing her needs since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. See, this is the most amazing thing. It's flipped on its head now. Today, today the culture says Christians are oppressive towards women. But all throughout history, when the Roman Empire said women have no value, Peter's putting them totally equal with men, both heirs of the grace of God in Christ. And then there's a warning to us, so that your prayers may not be hindered. What's he mean here? I think what he means here is this. Husbands, if you're going to treat your wife in an ununderstanding way, in a way that doesn't show honor to her as a fellow grace, uh, fellow heir of grace, as a weaker vessel, I don't know how good your prayers are going to work. Same thing if a wife was going to say, you know, I got a really close relationship with God, but I could give a rip about submitting to my husband. Can we be close to God and ignore the way he's called us to live in our relationships in this world? Can we really be close to God and say, I don't care about government? I don't care about how I treat my ungodly employer. I don't care how I treat my spouse. No. Our shepherd has given us a different example. And husbands, I just want to challenge you. As a preacher, I feel this all the time. As I pray for the Holy Spirit to help me get a sermon ready, the first thing I got to figure out is how I've been treating my wife if I expect the help of God. So when I struggle in a sermon, you might know why. <laughs> Submission points to security. And if someone asks, where do you get that security? And you tell them about the gospel and you tell them about your God, then God is glorified in your life. Father, it's so unnatural for us to be a servant, to be the lowly one, to look at the needs of another. It's so unnatural for us to love our enemies. But yet, that's what you did when you saved us, Lord. We were rebels, we were enemies, but when we were that, you died for us. We thank you so much for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.